0: You may be seated. If you would please turn in your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 1. I'm going to be referring to different parts of James 1 throughout the, the message this morning, so it's good to have your copy open, but I also do have the text on the bulletin insert and a few points and some space for you to take notes if you care to do that. I struggled with the title of today's uh, sermon today because I had one but I had to veto it. The Blessing of Doing, it's a good title, I hope, but, and it reflects what the passage is about, but I, I wanted to do your blessed life now, but I thought I'd run into some copyright problems or it would be a little, little difficult, um, but we are calling this, uh, this sermon uh, Blessing of Doing and as we, you may remember from last week when Stephen Sprague brought us the word from Deuteronomy chapter 30, we heard the renewal of God's covenant that there was a challenge, a challenge that was given by Moses to choose between blessing and curse, between the way of life and the way of death, between judgment or blessing. The Bible has blessing throughout it. It has cursing throughout it. We shouldn't shy away from it. In fact, as Stephen described Moses as kind of an anti-motivational speaker, he says, you're going to fail. You're going to mess up. That's, that's just our track record is we fail to live up to what we are called to do, but we also say, see that Jesus didn't fail. Jesus kept the law of God perfectly, and then He received that blessing, but He, in our place, took the curse upon Him, the death that we deserved, so that He could give us the blessing of following Him. We see that as we put our faith in Christ and He gives us His righteousness, He also calls us to righteous living. The blessing of new life, regeneration, and and justification is all because of what Christ has done in our place. It's not what we do. But as we receive that through faith alone, James is here in verses 22 through 25. Describing the blessing of sanctification, the, the growing in that grace that God gives us, and that this comes from God. It comes from a dependent, spirit led change that He works in us. It's spirit empowered covenant keeping. And there's blessings that are given to us as we honor Him. James is exhorting us in the blessing of doing, but we got to be careful. Not to talk about the doing without laying that foundation of what's already done, what Christ has completely and perfectly done in our place. We go back just a couple verses to James 1.18. It says, of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth. This is regeneration, bringing you forth into new life. He has done that. We see in verse 19, though, that there's ways to live now, that we should be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And that we should receive with meekness this implanted word which is able to save your souls. Sanctification and growth by God's grace is founded and grounded in what Christ has done for you. Your status with God doesn't change by your obedience. That's settled. But as sons and daughters of the King of Kings, we can now live lives of obedience. Follow along as I read James one. 22 through 25. This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant Word. "'But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank You for the hope of the gospel, the hope of new life in Christ, the transformation that You have done to bring us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And Lord, we thank You for the overflow of that rich gift, that we can be trained in righteousness, that we can grow in holiness, and that bit by bit we can die to sin and live for Christ Jesus. Lord, You're transforming us. You're renewing us. You're at work in us. And so we long for You to have Your way with us to make Christ in us more evident day by day, week by week, year by year. And, Lord, we will be careful that You get all the glory and we get none, that our good deeds would not point to us but point to You, our Heavenly Father. Lord, we thank You that the miraculous change that happens in the lives of Christians happens because of Your power. Lord, direct us by Your Word and give us hearts to run to You. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You remember James is the brother of Jesus, and Jesus liked to speak in parables. He liked to teach heavenly lessons with using earthly stories. And when it comes to teaching us what the kingdom is like, how to live as citizens of His kingdom, how to live wise and God-glorifying lives, uh, Jesus told an amazing, wonderful, short, pithy little story at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Now. I want you to listen carefully to this parable because I have a quiz. It's a quiz that I often give in counseling. It's one that I give in counseling training, just two questions and maybe a bonus one. But listen to the passage first, and then I want you to answer the questions. Matthew 7, beginning at verse 24, Jesus says, "'Everyone, then, who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock.'" Two buildings built, two different foundations. First question is, true or false? See, I'm not even asking an essay question. This is just true or false. The foolish man doesn't hear Jesus' words. The foolish man doesn't hear Jesus' words. Second question, listening to Jesus' words is what makes you wise. Listening to Jesus' words is what makes you wise. Now, If you answered false to both of those, you're correct. And now let me tell you why. Because if you just heard somebody on the street say, Yeah, listen to Jesus' words makes you wise, you'd say, Yeah, of course. But in this parable, the way that Jesus is setting up the story, that's the key to the story. The key to the story is that the similarities and differences you have to pay attention to. Similarities, both had a job, both were builders. Both built houses. And those houses represent our lives. It represents who we are, how we conduct ourselves, our, our livelihood. And our livelihoods are always going to be put under a test. Whether you're wise or foolish, whether you built on rock or you built on sand, the winds are going to come, the rains are going to come, the floods are going to beat on your house. And you know what those are. Those are are the adversities, the struggles, the the, the trials that universally wise people and foolish people meet. But there was a key difference in the results. One house stood firm because it was on the rock. One splat because it was on the sand. The key is what was the difference between that wise person and that foolish person? It was not in being a hearer of the words of Jesus. Those were exactly the same. Did you hear it? Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man, verse 24. Verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be a foolish man. I'm afraid that we are tempted to think we are so wise and that we are so prepared for the difficulties of life because we've sat in church, we listen to podcasts, we know commentaries, we read the word up and down, we have large parts of it memorized. But that doesn't make you a wise person, not according to Jesus' definition. My goal today is what I think James's goal is in the whole book of James. It's to demonstrate and to encourage lively faith, a, a real faith that bears fruit. Not a dead faith. Even the demons believe and they shudder, but they're not possessing lively faith that bears fruit. James wants you to be a hearer of the word and a doer of the word. Uh, In Hebrews, we hear that we should stir one another up towards love and good deeds. My fear is, what if people start to think that if I start preaching good deeds and good works and obedience, that people are going to think, That's the gospel. I'm right with God because I do good things, and He's pleased with me. That maybe my good on some days, a good day, outweighs my bad, and that's why I'm accepted. Totally not true. That's not what James says is true. That's not what the whole Scripture teaches is true. Your acceptance by God is not based on your good works. They flow from the fact that you are accepted. And so, we're going to see as we work through, Jesus has a call to obedience just like James does. Jesus says in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Luke eleven twenty eight 28 says, but he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Oh, see, I can encourage you and I can push you and I can call you to obedience because I want you to have a blessed life. I don't want to make it hard for you. I, in fact, the way of the transgressor is hard. The way of obedience and serving God is rich rich for us. I said there might be a bonus question. I just thought of it. The bonus question is in the great commission that Jesus gave before he went up to heaven. Jesus says, "Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them" all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." Was that an accurate quotation, true or false? False. I left out a key phrase. Jesus says, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Jesus was concerned about our obedience, our follow through, and He grounds it in a a new life in His kingdom. So, today I want us to look a little bit at James 1, how to hear the word how then we see ourselves and then how we can persevere in the doing verse 22 and 23 says be doers of the word and not hearers only uh, hearers is part of it right it's it's not insignificant it, it's in fact necessary you have to hear in order to know what to do but don't be hearers only deceiving yourselves when, when we only hear and don't do we're deceived for if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and soon forgets what he was like. I want us to think about hearing the Word and, and looking into the Word as you would looking into a mirror. We need to look intently. So, when you read God's Word, you should start off with what? What, what is this saying? Not what do I think about, what do I feel about, just what is this author writing when he wrote to the audience that he wrote to trying to communicate? And get to the author's intent before we go anywhere else. We need to know what, hear for what it does say. And then we need to say, so what? What's the significance of what I'm reading? What does this impact? How does this help me? You know, our catechism describes that the Word of God is there to teach us what we're to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of us. So there is going to be something about the Lord, who He is. There's going to be something about what then He calls us to do. That's the so what, and that leads to the now what. It it leads to the action. It leads to how am I to live a different life based on what I'm reading, what I'm taking in. It shouldn't stay with just taking it in and taking it in. The taking in of God's Word is only the beginning. It has to be lived out. Our hearing of the Word should be an intent look. You see, in the analogy that James uses, it's looking at your face in a natural, in a natural face in a mirror, and then looking into this perfect law of liberty. And that looking into is a gaze, and we gaze into a natural mirror to fix our physical appearance, but we gaze into this spiritual mirror in order to fix our our spiritual appearance. How are we missing in how we could be conformed to the image of Christ, what He looks like in all of His perfections? What are we looking into? We're looking into this perfect law of liberty. Now, when James uses the word law and this perfect law, that is the perfect law of liberty, we need to understand what he's talking about. And we get some help from the greater context of the New Testament, and we can reach back into the Old Testament. It, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, he says, about Moses, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so the Israelites could not gaze at the outcome of what he was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened for this day, uh, to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. So, the, this old covenant is, in a, in a sense, how the law is represented for us. And without Christ, we don't understand the law. We, we can't see it. Our eyes are darkened and hardened. He says, "Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is red, a veil lies over their hearts, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed." Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Liberty. This law of the Lord, this law of the spirit, is a spirit of liberty. If you remember in Romans 8.1, there's therefore now, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There is this law of sin and death, but there is a law of the Spirit. The law of sin and death is this covenant of works. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, they were told, if you do this, you will live. If you do this, you will die, and they failed. They failed to keep that covenant of work. It became to them death. The law of death is that covenant. But the law of the Spirit of life is the covenant of grace. It's what Christ fulfilling the ceremonial law and being that Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, He, this law of the Spirit, is what we are now freed to obey because Christ has kept perfectly the first, the law of, or the covenant of works. It's not a law to be saved by, the law of the Spirit, the law that, that uh, James is referring to here. It's not what gets us saved, but it's when we are and have been redeemed by Christ, we are freed and emboldened to live. Now, really, I can point back to the Old Testament, and, and I think that's what even the law of Moses was intended to do. The law of Moses was intended to function in the context of redemption, redemption from slavery. If you remember, and every month we recite our, the, these Ten Commandments, and we're careful to remember that Exodus 20, verse 2, that the preface to these Ten Commandments says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Then the commands come. You see, the commands to obedience come in the context of redemption, of of being bought from slavery. And that pictures for us the forgiveness of sin. We're in bondage to sin until Christ frees us and redeems us And in redeeming us, He then gives us a new way to live and a new power to do that life. That's really what's going on here, is that the one who has redeemed us has given us a lifestyle for the redeemed. How do redeemed people live? It was helpful for me as I studied this to get rid of a misunderstanding, a false understanding I think I had of where did good works, where did the law fit in to being a Christian? And I was, I was clear that I was saved by grace through faith and that, that God opened my eyes to that. It wasn't the works that I had done. I, I could never do a good enough job, but Jesus has done, and He died in my place. And so when I place faith in Him, He saves me, and it's not about my good works. But then I wrestled with, okay, so but where did the good works fit in? How do, how do I live? And as we see, the way that the Scripture describes the life of the Christian and where good works fit in, it starts to make sense. Our Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 19 talks about the law of God, and it says in the fifth section, "...the moral law doth forever bind all, as well-justified persons as others." to the obedience thereof, and that not only in regard to the matter contained in it, but also in respect to the authority of the God, uh, the Creator, who gave it. Neither doth Christ in the gospel in any way dissolve, but much strengthen this obligation." You see, when Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law but to fulfill it, the law is still there. So, it goes on to say in the sixth section, although true believers be not under the law as a covenant of works. It's not keeping the law that gives you life to thereby be justified or condemned, yet it is of grace use to them as well as to others in that it's a rule of life informing them of the will of God. Their duty, it directs and binds them to walk accordingly. Discovering also sinful pollutions of their nature, their hearts, and lives, and so examining themselves thereby, they may come to further conviction of, humiliation for, and hatred against sin, together with a clearer sight of the need that they have for Christ and the perfection of obedience. You see, the law opens up for us our eyes that this is how God wants us to live. And our humility has to kick in because we don't live up to that standard. And we need the empowerment that Christ gives. And so when he says, when the confession says, neither are the forementioned uses of the law contrary to the grace of the gospel, but they do sweetly comply with it. The Spirit of Christ subduing and enabling the will of man to do that freely and cheerfully, which is the will of God revealed in the law, requires to be done. Once you become a follower of Jesus Christ and He impresses upon you it's all of His righteousness given to you to adopt you as one of His children. You can then be freed to live cheerfully, joyfully, following the Lord in obedience. It's a whole different perspective on this list of rules. It isn't just a bunch of rules and a checklist that i got to do it or I'm going to get something bad happen to me today. I mean, really, that, if I didn't read my devotions one morning... I would expect things weren't going to go good for me that day. But if I did my devotions, boy, when, when it came to uh, a bonus in my paycheck, that had to be because I did this. You see, it was a weird kind of messed up way of thinking my doing got something from God. And that's not how God has worked this law into us. This law is for us. And it's really freeing. It's a law of liberty. You see, it in verse 25, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. Well, how, how is the law freeing? That's what liberty means, right? Released. Our confession, again, in chapter 20 talks about of Christian liberty and liberty of conscience. Uh, Lance prayed some of this, these same thoughts. It says, under the New Testament, the liberty of Christians is further enlarged in their freedom from the yoke of the ceremonial law, to which the Jewish church was subjected, and in greater boldness of access to the throne of grace, and in fuller communication of the free spirit of God than believers under the law did ordinarily partake of. We're free to obey, and we're free to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and directed by the Holy Spirit. True freedom for the Christian isn't, I get to do whatever I want, okay? Think of it this way. If you saw the fish in my fish tank that is in my office, and you say, I want those fish to be free, and you pulled them out and put them on the desk. You didn't free that fish. You killed that fish, okay? Because that fish is designed to live in an environment that it will flourish if it's within that place. A Picture a locomotive, a train, and you say, oh, that poor train is stuck on the tracks. Let's put it out in the meadow go, be free, and and you you put this train, and there it is, it goes nowhere. The the train is truly free when it rides on the rails that the designer put in place, pointed in the direction that it should be headed. And you and I are truly free. We're truly at liberty when we're pointed in the direction of obedience to God because He designed us that way to live our lives for His glory. He designed us to live in His paths and according to His direction. We're free to go full steam ahead when we ride on the rails of obedience, of the law, this perfect law. Okay, how do we persevere in this doing? You see, we could be a doer that forgets. We are a hearer, I'm sorry, that looks and forgets. Hearing and forgetting is a recipe (laughs) to problems, right? We hear young children all the time, okay, honey, I want you to make your bed, okay, honey, I want you to take that basket up to your room and put away the clothes. Honey, I want you to take the vacuum and do this floor, and you'll go back an hour later and you'll say, hey, why isn't this done? Oh, I forgot. I forgot? What do you mean? Was I not clear? Was you, you heard what I said, right? Yeah. But you didn't do what I said. No. Don't be a forgetful hearer. We don't like it when people don't follow through for us. How, how do you think the Lord feels every time that He gives us His commands and we don't follow through? We as believers are called to persevere, not being a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. You see, that acting is what God calls us to continue in, and that's the hard part Sometimes getting started is easy. We get all riled up. We get excited. We get like, this is, this is the day we're going to start, and I'm going to live for the Lord. I'm going I'm to turn over a new leaf. But the problem is that how long does that last? Uh, we, we were on the mountaintop at summer camp, and we were so excited about coming home and serving the Lord, but how long till we turn? How can we persevere in doing our Confession of Faith chapter 16 says that our good works done in obedience to God's commands are the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith, and by them believers manifest their thankfulness, strengthen their insurance, edify their brethren, adorn the profession of the gospel, stop the mouths of adversaries, and glorify God whose workmanship they are created in Christ Jesus thereunto, that having their fruit unto holiness, they may have the end eternal life. This fruit is a blessing. Living out the evidence of our faith, living out by being doers of the Word, blesses us, blesses everyone around us. You know, you see all the folks that have lined up as as new members in the church. And those people are like you. They can either sit, soak, and sour, or they can sit, soak, and then serve. In whatever way God's gifted them, design them, ordain for them, to not just be pew sitters and freeloaders, but to use what God has granted them. And you know what? That's not about the pastor pushing people to go do children's church or do Sunday school. That's, you're going to be blessed by doing this. The people around you are going to be blessed in doing this. Let's not see it as the chore, the duty, the obligation. It is, but that duty can be a delight, and that's how James puts it for us you will be blessed in the doing. So, what is it that we're neglecting? What is it that we're overlooking? Or what is it that we're stuck in and we're continually giving ourselves over to that we need to stop? Or what do we need to do in its place? Ask the Lord, search me and try me. What, what is it that would be pleasing to you? Thirteen years ago, Kevin DeYoung wrote a little book that many of you probably are familiar with. It was a book on finding God's will, and it's entitled Just Do Something. In the first chapter, he describes a toy that was from my generation and a little older, but it's still around today. It's called a a tinker toy or tinker toys. Are you familiar with what tinker toys are? They're these uh, little wooden and I guess now plastic spools with all these holes in it, and then there's a bunch of sticks, different colors, and you put the sticks inside the holes, and you can attach them together, and you can make stuff. And so, if you look up on the interwebs, what are Tinker Toys, or what do Tinker Toys do? This is literally what it says. Tinker Toys help build hand-finger strength, manipulation, grasp and coordination, fine motor, visual motor skills. They encourage bilateral motor coordination, crossing midline, and visual spatial motor skills. Wow. I mean, that, th- that, that does a lot. Tinker Toys. But if you've played for tink- with Tinker Toys, and you can do it for hours and hours, when you're done playing with uh, those Tinker to- Toys, you actually haven't made anything that resembles anything in real life. It's not like Legos where you make a house or you make a, a ship that you can play with. It's not like a Lego or Lincoln logs, where you can actually build a cabin. Tinker toys are just tinkering around. It's just just putting things together, but it really doesn't have a significance for the real world, and I'm afraid that many of us are tinkering around with the Word of God, and and we hear it, and and we listen to it. We, We get together in groups, and we talk about it, and we strategize about it. We read commentaries. We develop these elaborate systems of knowledge and of theology, but we fail to do anything meaningful with what we have heard. And it shouldn't be that way. We've become giants of theological knowledge, but infants when it comes to doing. Uh, we're the, 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 the kings of orthodoxy, but we're court jesters when it comes to orthopraxy, doing what God has called us to do. It's really, it's really been overcomplicated. Be hearers of the Word, be doers of the Word, and you'll be blessed in the doing. We want our lives, your life, and my life to demonstrate that when I think right and when I hear the truth, and then I live it out and I do it, then when we are doers who act, we'll be blessed in the doing. Let's pray. God, we know that You're at work in us, and that You give us the will to do Your good pleasure. And so, if some of us are stuck with that, that, that desire and so, Lord, I pray that You would make our duty into our delight. Lord, some of us are stuck, and we've, we've tried, and we've attempted, but we failed because we think we have to be perfect. But, Lord, help us to know and to remember that our good works are accepted because of Christ, because You see our works in the Beloved. And, Lord, they're imperfect. They won't be exact but as we offer them to You, Lord, receive them as, as we would receive a, a crayon drawing from one of our children. The loving care that we give to You in our obedience, Lord, it's, it's not going to be perfect, but Lord, we know that You love us and You accept it. Lord, empower us, encourage us, motivate us, whatever it takes, so that You can bless Your people and that we can be a blessing to those around us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn of response is hymn 628. Let's stand and sing, Come, my soul, thy suit prepare.